Welcome to the Live Transform Podcast. It's episode number 213. It's good to be together. We are so Jim thankful. looking good. Audrey looking good. Thank you. Oh, good, Jim. You're looking good, too. You got it. Yeah, but he didn't say I was beautiful like he always says <laughs> nope. to you. Mm-hmm. So, you know, <laughs> I'm a beautiful I'm, bride. I'm, I'm still feeling a little bit, you know, slighted. You look okay. Know. You look okay, Jim. Uh, as long as I look okay, yeah. I don't care. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You I'm look a, fine. I'm a hippie. I don't worry about it. <laughs> Oh, is that why I dress like a homeless person? I always I wondered like, I, why I, I dress like a, like I look, don't care. But I did comb my hair. Yes, that's, that's a good. Well, thing. you have so a lot of hair. hair I can tell it's just it's that's very right. smooth. But when I get up in the mornings, uh, my hair is is very socially oriented. When I get up in the mornings, I'm always waving at people. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so, so you know, uh, uh, when I was a real for real thoroughbred hippie. Yeah. You, I didn't worry about combing my hair. You know, you because the wilder I look, the more it accomplished my goals. I love it. I love <laughs> but, uh, it. But now I have to kind of, you know, hide some of that, my, my, my hippie uh, right. tendencies. Well, it's not but working. But then we went through that day. <laughs> but then we went through those days where we always had a comb in your pocket. No, I didn't. No, hippies I didn't say he's hippie. You never, hippies didn't care. You no, never I went that way. in the 50s. In the fifties, oh, in you know, the fifties, okay. But 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 no, when you hippies don't carry combs. <laughs> I love it because around the seventies, yes. everybody yep. had a comb. Jim's just a little older than us. Yes, I know that. I know I had a comb in my back pocket. Everybody did. Everybody. It was a thing. <laughs> but apparently, we were just slightly younger than Jim. The, the switchblade comb. The switchblade comb. That's right. That's right. <laughs> except I, except when I carried a switchblade, it was a real switchblade. <laughs> You know what? I, I I sometimes wonder. You know, people that you know jump in, they're just like, okay, what are they going to start with today? I oh, know you guys goodness. are our friends, and we just I we just it. enjoy the fact that we can all do well, this kind of stuff together. You know, in the in, in the Word of Faith movement, and you know, I've spoken those arenas for a while, and I've spoken with big names in the Word of Faith movement. It was kind of it wasn't just well, it wasn't just implied. You people, the successful people told you, never admit failure, never admit hmm. anything that you've done wrong, you know, you know, because people will lose confidence in you. And I thought, well, in my mind, it's like, no, it, it, you know, if you never admit, you know, your goofiness and all this kind of stuff, mm-hmm. then when you, then the slightest little thing, you fall off your pedestal and they despise <laughs> you, yeah. you know? And you know, you know, even though we talk about a lot of those things from our past and all this, and we do it really jokingly, and we're having fun with it, but you know, y'all know me. I don't ever do anything without a reason. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I just I find great uh, ministerial effectiveness, and just kind of being real about who mm-hmm, you were, mm-hmm. real about your mistakes, real mm-hmm. about when you missed God, and real about all those things, because because that way. Number one, people don't put you on a pedestal. I hate that. I mean, I hate that whole pedestal thing. I never, I never want it to be on one. Don't want to be on one. I don't want to be idealized. Uh, and and I, you know, I don't want people looking at me and going, "Okay, man, you know, this guy is Superman, so I can be Superman." I want people looking at me and saying, "You know, th- this guy was a was a mess." 
and uh, his life was messed up, and a lot of his Christian life was messed up, and he's still serving God. So I guess I can. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's how I, I love that, and I love the relatableness of it because it does. We're all friends together, and our listeners. I just love hearing from you guys because when I hear from, we're all in this process in this journey together, and and literally that's just it. We're all just being friends and walking with Jesus and seeing where this goes, yeah. and we are real with each other. Like that's yeah. that's we all get to. Mm-hmm. Yes. As scary as that can be. Yeah. As scary as that is. Yesterday I had a good conversation with a gentleman and and just helping him, you know, through some hard work and he was looking for that next barrier, that next barrier, that next breakthrough, that next, you know, mm-hmm. and I was just like, Oh man, dude, just talking to you, you're wearing me out. You know, and it was it was always that next thing. So anyhow, we you know, I got him into his heart zone and all of a sudden he remembered when all of a sudden he he really denied himself if, if I can say it that way where he, he just kind of like I can't be this and he began to perform trying to be acceptable to mm-hmm. others and 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 it was just oh, a man. silly oh, I hear it was that. a silly fun he says I was just kind of goofy and he says all of a sudden at you know and it was about age you know 16 17 he was socially unacceptable. And he began to shut it down. And here he is, you know, in his 60s, still trying yeah. to be accepted. And it was just beautiful, you know, of how, you know, Jesus came and met him. And yeah. and and um, and how Jesus just really came to him. But th- this was the phrase that uh, just melted his heart when Jesus says, I like you. Yeah. I just like you the way you are. And it was just like, and he says, man, that... And it was just so new for him. Yeah. I love that. When we talk about God loving people, it's almost like, you know, it's almost like a kid that says that whose parent says, I love you. And they say, well, you have to, you're, you know, you're my Mm -hmm. mama. And that's kind of the way people respond. They don't say that, but inwardly, when we talk to them about the love of God, but when, when you get a person moving in that direction of God liking you, yeah, that, that, that's kind of a wake-up call to a dimension of this that you never thought about. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, uh, and then finding, because that was another real ambition you know, of his. He says, yeah. man, I'm doing all this hard work, and I'm, you know, and just effort, effort, effort that I was hearing from him. And he says, I just haven't found the peace. You know, I haven't found <laughs> the rest. You know? He hadn't been looking for it. <laughs> you know, when, when we, and, you know, we've said this a lot, lot before, and by the way, all of this fits in with where we're going mm-hmm. today. But, you know, you know I, I'm telling you, you know, for years, and, and I do it now when people like go through essential heart physics, one of the very first things, you know, we tell you is like, don't, don't, don't try to get anything out of this. Don't, all you're doing is you are creating an awareness of Christ mm-hmm. in you and <clears throat> learning to distinguish the difference between the voice of God in your heart and your mm-hmm. voice. And, you know, tr- trying to get God to speak is kind of, I mean, I can understand it on some level, but trying to get God to speak to me is the greatest testimony that you're not listening. Hmm. You know, it, it, you know, if, if I'm trying to be, if I'm trying to become something, then I am not being something. If I'm trying to get God to speak, then I'm not listening to what He's saying. No, because He's always trying to lead us. He's always always trying to speak with us. You know, um, 
you know, we're, 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 you know, we're continuing this conversation about transformation, mm -hmm. but, but I'm so glad Bob brought this up. It always amazes me how our conversation just mm -hmm. leads into this. Yes, you know, we, yes. don't, we don't rehearse these things. Right. We just start talking, but you know, you know, in transformation, see, uh, uh, somebody that's looking for the next thing is not looking for transformation. Hmm. They're looking for an experience. And usually people that are experience driven are people who need validation through experiences. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I've got a friend that is just, uh, I've known the guy for years. We, uh, we you know, we, we were great friends. We've ministered together a lot. And, uh, and he has never, this guy, he is great at certain types of ministry, but he grew up in that word of faith movement. And he has that tendency to, that if you're not in the pastorate or preaching from the pulpit, you're not in the ministry. Mm. And the guy's great at winning people to Jesus. He's great at discipling people, maybe in small groups, but every time Every time he tries to move into this, I got to be in the ministry kind of thing, it always it always turns into an incredible mess. But one of the things that's been, I have observed over the years is that he is always looking for some type of external validation. Mm -hmm. And so... The only thing that drives us to that is that we're not experiencing God in a satisfying way mm -hmm. right at this moment. Mm -hmm. So transformation is not having another experience because experiences do not transform you. I'm, I'm telling you, and I am speaking from experience. <laughs> I, you know, I used to tell people this all the time. So look, I have, I have seen every healing and almost every miracle mm -hmm. in the New Testament right under my hands mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. for years mm -hmm. by the thousands. And I got news for you. You know, I can tell you, I can remember times that I'd walk onto a platform somewhere, get 5,000 people saved and baptized in the Holy Spirit, get a few thousand healed, get, you know, get 50 blind people healed. You know how I many just cripples jumping up and walking? And, you know, I the amazing thing is I still had this unique ability to walk off of that platform and be a jerk. I wasn't trying to. You, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Something annoys you, something happens, you're frustrated, you're tired, and you get you get in what we call really what is the flesh. Yeah. You start being you start being driven by wanting a fulfillment that comes through gratification, external gratification, which mm -hmm. is, is, of course, always is always the flesh. So, as somebody who's been there and seen all that stuff, none of that ever, none of that ever transformed me. I, I mean, absolutely. As a matter of fact, it made me face challenges from people wanting to put me on a pedestal, which, I, like I said, I've always hated. Uh, you know, from people changing the way they want it to relate to me, from people always wanting something. You know, you know, from me, I can remember being in those in some of those meetings with some of these big word of faith guys. And, uh, you know, because of me getting healed from a kidney disease, sometimes they would just tell everybody there, if you've got a kidney disease, come down. Jim can take care of that. Wow. I hated that. I, yeah. Now, I would find some way to encourage and minister to the people and remove the showmanship from it. But when when a person 
you know, what, what drives your desire, your personal desire for transformation? Now you may not, not even have a desire for transformation. You may you may think change and and it could be something negative like I'm well I'm trying to deal with the sin in my life. That's that's not a, that's not really the the reason to be looking at transformation. That is an incredible question, Jim. Yeah. What drives your personal desire for transformation? I, I I just along these lines, I woke up today and went on my walk. And as I always do, I always talk about it, but you know, that's my communion time with, with yep. God. And I had just recently started a new program of uh, just this app I'm using. And I was just feeling really good this morning in the way that, wow, I'm following this a system and it's giving me hope for some new results. And, and, and so then I immediately applied it to my spiritual life. And I said, so I woke up in this like overachiever mentality. Like, okay, God, I'm going to surrender everything to you. I'm going to do all the morning things that set me up for the best day. And so I started and literally I felt Jesus beside me smiling, going, really, is that what we're doing? And like, it only took a second. And then he's like, how about we just look at this guy and and let's just talk about that. I'm like, Oh my, I literally started laughing. I went, thank you. Like you got me out of that quick. Cause I was about to go in my human strength, my human plan, the the ways that you get close to God and and I'm going to be super disciplined and I'm going to surrender. Like I teach everyone to surrender my emotions to you today. And I'm going to quote, this is the day the Lord has made. And I'm going to make this a great day. And honestly, it took a second. And, and, and then I just started laughing. (laughs) I said, Oh yeah, we're just hanging out together. You know, when, you know, when you look at the law of the seed, yeah, which the law of the seed is the single most important mm-hmm. universal law there is. Everything physical, emotional, spiritual, relational, everything in this realm uh, follows under that. Yes. Functions yes. by the law of the right. seed. <clears throat> now, so when you think about the seed, you know, uh, uh, words, and Jesus taught us about, about the word that you hear. But you have to realize your self-talk is words that you hear. This mm-hmm. isn't just, you know, what somebody else brings to you. As a matter of fact, most of the time it has nothing to do with anybody mm-hmm. else. But but it, it, anything that you're hearing because you're thinking it, because you're pondering it, that is the seed. And so, you know, the first law of the seed is that every seed bears after its own kind. So, so whatever you're starting... Whatever, whatever you're mov- motivated to do, no matter, you know, no matter how good it is or how biblical it is, you are starting that with a particular intention or motive. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I, I call this, I call this spiritual origins. Yes. And and and, and if you the spiritual origin of, of of any seed that's growing in the garden of your life, anything you're doing, anything you're putting effort in. Uh, it is being done for a reason, and that re- you have to realize that reason is as much the seed as wow. just the words that were spoken. Wow! Yes. So the seed that's going to grow is not just the seed from the word itself, because because the word logos is really, you know, that that big concept about the logic and, you know, the wisdom and, you know, the big picture behind what's driving the word that is being spoken. So, so when you think about spiritual origins, 
uh, you start realizing that whatever my real motive is for what I'm doing, that is what will determine the fruit. And so many people, by definition, choose uh, a path that looks noble and worthy. It looks biblical only because you're speaking the same words that are in the Bible. But how many times and how many people do you know that pretty much everything they try to develop their life always fails, always <coughs> turns into a mess? Right, right. But why? Because the seed, the, the intention, the, you know, the, the, the ah. purpose, the reason that they're, that they're doing what they're doing. Now, <clears throat> you know, Jesus, we, you know, we, our life of transformation by the way, I talk about, I expand on this in my new series called Ancient Mysteries, but I really expand on it with the series that goes with it. We'll get that series to you guys as good. quickly as good. I get it good, out. Good, 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 But, but uh, you know, we are on a journey to the kingdom of heaven. And, and, and that journey, every bit of it, as you know, we've talked about a thousand times, every bit of that is modeled with the children of Israel coming out of Egypt, going into Canaan, and then everything that happened with them, you know, while while they were in Canaan. So, <clears throat> uh, so, so we, you know, we, we have these these models and these pictures. So we we understand, and this is something that just you know, I, one of the things I really have trouble with. I've asked a lot of pastors this. It's like, okay, so what what motivates your preaching? What, what motivates what kind of message you select? And almost always, you know, they're going to be, give me the spiritual answer and the spiritual answer. Well, I, I just preach what God leads me to preach. <laughs> okay, so let me ask you this. Where are you trying to take these people? Not, not your church as an organization, mm -hmm. these people. Where are you trying to take them? Now, the only answer that is actually... Truth, it might, you know, I'm not saying it's the only answer that you're going to find in the Bible because there's a lot of steps along the way. But the only answer for what pastors should have as a goal for their people is we should bring them into the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, because that doesn't happen when you get born again. John 3 says when you get born again, you have the ability to perceive that there's mm -hmm. a kingdom. Doesn't mean doesn't mean that you enter in. And so, so what's my reason for preaching? Is my reason to build a bigger church? Is my reason to have more people listen to my preach? You know, you know what I mean? What, what, what is my real reason? And so, so number one, a lot of ministers do not understand the conflict and turmoil that goes on in their church is actually because of the seed that they're planting. Mm. Even though they're preaching the Bible, they're preaching the Bible and pushing an agenda. Of what of what yep. they think yep. needs to happen, just like we in our own lives will push an agenda. We'll you know we will talk scripture, but we're still pushing a personal right. agenda. Yes, mm -hmm. and that and, and that personal agenda is you know is what the Bible calls selfish ambition. And James three sixteen, I believe it is, says you know where you have selfish ambition, it says you know that you have uh, uh, confusion and every evil practice. 
So, uh, so you this know, is super heavy because oh, this, this, this is heavy. Like in the way of when you ask these kind of questions, you know, mm-hmm. you can if you're really honest with yourself, there are things that are not pure in your motives. Yeah, you know, there. You know what I'm saying? I know. I know. Well, you know, and I've said for decades. The, the, the what will deceive you and destroy you more effectively than anything else is mixed motives. Mm. Because in a mixed motive, you have some good, mm-hmm. but you also have some selfishness. Mm-hmm. Well, see, that's what you call planting two kind, different kinds of seeds in the same furrow. Like, you know, in the end, the, the weeds always choke out the truth. And that's just the nature of, you know, of how things work in this universe. And so when you get, when you do something by a mixed motive and you get challenged, or even if your conscience gets afflicted, you can always look to your good motive part of this and go, no, this is why I'm doing this. Say, this is, this is what I do. I'm, you know. And, and so you use the good part, the good seed, if you will, to overlook and justify the weeds that are growing up. Mm-hmm. So, so you know, back to this thing, and you know, I'm not trying to pick on pastors, but you know, and this is the kind of things I used to deal, do with pastors when I'd go in and do workshops with pastors and have leadership stuff, and I, you know, you know, have kind of one-on-one kind of things with them. So. You know, pastors would often say, "Well, well, well what motive? What, what mo- motivates what you s- preach?" And I said, "You know, I envision myself more like a captain of a ship, and captain of the ship is driving the ship to reach a defined, specific definition. And it doesn't it doesn't matter about the subject matter, the topic that I'm preaching. The question is, am I am I using that topic to always move people into kingdom living? Mm-hmm. And if I'm not, then even though what I'm preaching or teaching may be true, I'm still taking them off course. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Because I, That's because I'm so taking them good. on another goal. Yes, I'm really hearing you. So we have to flip that around instead of using that to pick on preachers, which it sounds like I was trying to do. But what we need to do is we need to flip that around and say, well, wait a minute. Let me just take, I, you know, I use that as an example mm-hmm. that I feel like people could understand. Mm-hmm. So now I'll just flip that around to you and ask this question about how you're managing your life. What, you know, what are you doing in your life? What is your goal of transformation? What is your goal of walking with God? What is your goal of having a prayer life? Uh, and, you know, is that, does that goal harmonize with God's goal? And God's goal is always to bring you into kingdom living because kingdom living not only benefits me, but kingdom living is designed to benefit everybody that I will be able to influence for the, for the rest of my life. So, so, yeah, I'm, when I, I was just thinking about the words this guy was saying to you. And honestly, I wasn't thinking about it like in the sense of being critical. I was just thinking about, about it in the way something like that could sound so noble. Yes, I just want the breakthrough. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it, it, it comes, <clears throat> and it even comes from a place of desperation. Yeah. But always longing and looking for something that it's almost unattainable. Yeah. And, you know, will I ever, 
and yeah. uh, and, and and not until I do, am I ever really going to be free? Yeah, you know those are the those are the yep. you know the <clears throat> swirling thoughts you know that people carry. You know, um, uh, that thought just skipped through. I don't know. I don't know if I should. I don't know if I should mm-hmm. address that particular thing right now. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, in making this journey of transformation, if if I'm looking, if I'm looking at my spiritual life and saying, "Okay, I I, I want to break through. I want the next big thing." Uh, or even if I'm saying I want to become this so I can, you know, yep. help my relationship with God, you know, there's a lot of noble things you could say. Yeah. But you stop and think about it is like how how many people prepare themselves to attract <coughs> a certain kind of spouse so that they can have eternal bliss, mm-hmm. and they attract that kind of spouse and they marry them and they're the completely wrong person for them. That that's imaginary living. That's an imaginary. That's taking an imaginary <coughs> approach to a relationship. It's like I'm not in a relationship with anybody, so I'm just going to guess and imagine what I should become, so that I can have the kind of relationship that I want. And yeah. the majority of the time, it turns out disastrous. Yes. So just think about it. So I'm doing that with God. You know, I'm yep. saying I want the next big thing for godly spiritual reasons. Mm-hmm. But the real truth is my journey of transformation, some of it is going to come because I do have a sense of violating my conscience somewhere. And I do have the sense of, you know, I don't like that. I, you know, that, that's not a God thing. I don't, want to, I don't want to feel that way. But more than anything, knowing the transformation that I need to face right now is rooted in being 100% aware of my relationship with God. Mm-hmm. And when we say relationship with God, people go, go to a phony place. I mean, they just go to a re- phony religious place. But just, just stop and think about it. Uh, you know, you get up every day, you talk to your spouse, you know, y'all spend time together, you know, all the couples do. Now, I don't know how other couples are, but if I start seeing that there's something in my behavior even if I think I'm right, there's something in my behavior that is bringing stress and conflict to mine and Brenda's life. Mm-hmm. That's going to be the place that I want to experience transformation. Mm-hmm. Perfect. That's a, to move that, out of that. That's a perfect. If I'm doing something, that's just the perfect indicator. Yeah. Because but, I, you don't want to hurt Brenda. Right. And so, you know what? I, I want to experience transformation here. Yeah. And that's, you know, this is why the book of Proverbs talks about the fear of the Lord being the beginning of wisdom, because that concept, you know, from a biblical point of view is not being afraid of him hurting you. It's really so valuing your relationship that your Mm -hmm. greatest fear is to do anything to hurt that relationship. But now if your relationship with God is not alive enough, if it's not real enough, if it's not clear enough, then really you you won't be able to realize out of your relationship where you need to experience transformation mm-hmm. to, to benefit that relationship. So, uh, you know, my, my formula for life is really simple. Get up every day, you know, commit yourself to walking in love and then following Jesus as much as you can see where he's leading you. That's, per, that's about it. 
And if he leads me somewhere that I'm not ready to go, if he leads me somewhere that I'm afraid to face, if he leads me somewhere that, that, that is making me feel insecure, then I know I need to experience transformation in that area of my life. <laughs> I like, like that because then you're not seeking after transformation. Like then all of a sudden it's just because, I mean, that, that simple thing yeah. that you just said mm-hmm. and walk, committing to walk in God, the Lord, love, see where he leads. And if something makes you feel insecure, then I know that's a place where I need a transformation. Mm-hmm. That is profound. Yeah. Profound. But, <laughs> but we love systems. Yep. Just like you, Audrey, this morning. Right. You woke up and you are ready to step into a new system. structure. Yes. Okay. And a structure and people love structures mm-hmm. and they love those they systems. They feel safe in those systems. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, we spoke with a, a couple recently and we had to help them with some systems and with some structure. Why? Because they're hurting each other. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so there's a place where, no, no, you, you've got to stop. Yeah. Okay. So there's a, there's a, a lack of a, a maturity and, and love that's you know really missing in that in that relationship. But what what I'm what what I wanted to say here is that what you sh- shared, Jim. You know that my formula is really quite simple. Mm-hmm. Here's the problem: Can I really trust others to that that they would really hear God's voice and that they would really follow Him? See, that's risky on my part, mm-hmm. and so I want to I want to jump in. And I want to be a part of, and I want to make sure that you see that they're following and that they're experiencing and that they're going yes, all in the right direction. And so all of a sudden, I become one who intercepts or almost deters them from actually experiencing the very thing that they yeah. want, and that is to hear no God for themselves. Right. But would we be willing to trust others? to the grace of God? Well, the majority of people won't. Mm-hmm. You know, so much of ministry is I'm going to fix you and I'm going to turn you into the person that I think God would want you to be. I'm not going to uh, uh, influence you, encourage you, and model things to you. You, you know, I had, a, I had a friend of mine <clears throat> tell me not too long ago, uh, you know, he said, he said, you know, looking back over the years of our friendship, he said, I... I finally realized you never tell me what to do about anything. No. And, and, you know, and and he was talking about the freedom that that gave him to connect with God and not, you know, not make me a source. I don't know what God is, is leading every person. I don't know, you know, you know, where God is trying to take every person, but you know, this thing about systems and we, we've talked about this some in the past systems only become bad when you make systems the goal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, a system that, that says, you know, I'm going to walk this path until I get to the top of the mountain, you know, and that's a, that's a good system because when you get to, to wherever you're trying to go, you don't, you don't need the system uh, anymore. And so, you know, intentions, this goes back to the, you know, the uh, uh, origins. Mm-hmm. Intentions corrupt systems because because the system that you create it is a it is a, 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 a an out it is an expression or 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 breeding if you will of your intentions Ooh. and so so you know when I start trying to create a system subconsciously I may not 
you know, realize it so much. But that system is is being created to accomplish, accomplish my, that tr- true intention. my true goals. Yes, yes. And so if my true goals are to have a system, and you say, well, wh- you know, uh, <laughs> what do you mean? Well, you know, think about how many times you need a system just so you feel like I'm righteous, I'm yeah, qualified. right. I'm, you know, I'm, exactly. I'm, I'm who God wants me to exactly. be. Exactly. And so, uh, so that's where, again, the seed always bears after its own kind. And so, you're really whatever, going deep here. <laughs> well, this, this is it's really this good. It's simple, basic stuff, but that's the hardest stuff to grasp. Yeah. But but it's like I tell people, you know, in the law of the seed, you you just have to realize that uh, uh, whatever you're well, for example, the emotions that drive your behavior, those emotions become a seed. So if fear drives my decisions and my plans that I put together, and no matter how biblical they are, then the, then, then the fruit that is going to come out of that is going to be more fear. And then, that, then I'm working my system and I'm feeling good, but what about, what about the day I get it and I'm too tired to work my system? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what happened. Fear come, multiplies. Yeah. And so, so whatever you know, whatever emotion is driving any decision you make, that decision can only, in the long run, can only produce more of of what initiated it. So, in other words, if we're in a in a situation, the emo- it, we can do the exact same function within a day. Yep. You know, say, okay, let's just take my life because I'm because that's the one that's I can use easily. So mm-hmm. I in a day I will do a lot of sessions with couples and individuals. Mm-hmm. So if the emotion of fear is behind that, I need to get so many people to sign up for um, mm-hmm. sessions so that I can Bob and I can make our mortgage payment this month and mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? I mean this is just real life. Yeah. And and this is that um and, but there's a fear of lack or there's a oh. fear of not be um, doing my mission in life, like not doing my purpose no. in life, or there's a fear of failure if I don't prove myself, or there's a fear of lack or a fear of failure, I would say would probably be mm. the ones that could do it. If that's what's driving me having those appointments, then in the no. end, that will be revealed as the intention because if I do it out of love, if I, out of love, I can do the same thing, have a bunch of sessions in a day, but it's because I love those people that I'm talking to and I'm not scared, even though, yes, it'll provide our mortgage payment, but that's not mm. the intention behind it. Is right. that, am I like, you can, I'm asking, I'm throwing yeah, this out I there. Think, yeah, so you, yeah, can, uh, you can, tear, you can pin that when apart. You start, when you start talking about paradoxical things of the heart, yeah. you know, you're getting into things that get very difficult yes. to actually explain. Okay. But there's one, uh, there's one phrase though that you use and I want to jump back yes. to where, where you said, you know, you know, this will eventually be revealed. Yeah. This is my purpose. Well, according to how you define reveal, because the real truth is it's usually not revealed to the person that's doing it. Oh. In other words, in other words, they keep having all of this bad stuff happening. So fear is driving. So most of the time they just double their efforts. You know what I mean? They go deeper into something that's fear-based. They go deeper in something that's driven. Now, now keep in mind, even if it's transformation, no matter what it is, you know, and this is the paradox all of these things we're talking about are things that God does use, 
you know, to help us grow and to, to develop and go through transformation, you know. But, uh, but that still, just because they're in the Bible does not mean that they're truth to us and does not mean that they're really going to produce what we, well, it's, it's, it's going to produce what our real motive is, but it may not produce what our stated motive is. And what most people do when, see, see the moment you dive into something and, and you, you have a system and this system has a has a reason for existing. There's a you know whatever you think the benefit is going to be of you know getting up and praying a certain amount of time. I, you know I'm not against that. I'm I'm for it. Or you know reading your Bible a certain time. Well the, then the problem becomes that now your faith is in this system. Your faith is not really in following God. You have replaced God with a system. And so there's not that living interaction of you having a sense, oh, wait a minute, I, I, you know, it's like I just kind of, I just took a right turn here and I just feel like I lost God, so to speak. No, yeah, you know, you didn't really lose God, but you know what I'm talking about? And so, so you get back on track, you know. But if, if, if the goal in, is to, I'm going I'm to work this system, that's going to be my confidence in relating to God, then you just push Jesus right out of the center of your life and all of your faith is rooted in that system, which mm -hmm. means you cannot experience the grace of God. You cannot experience supernatural growth in God. You can't recognize where God is trying to lead you and where God's trying to help you. And you will never actually get the transformation that you want to get. You may get better at following your system mm -hmm. that looks like transformation on the outside, but you'll never really actually have the transformation you want. This is good. This is really helpful, really helpful, because that question that you asked at the very beginning, what drives your personal desire for yeah. transformation? Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's nothing wrong. I mean, for example, a person might say, you know what, I just, I, you know, I just don't have good relationships. Well, now that, that's, you know, it, again, this gets into the paradox. It's all right to say, so I want better relationships, but, but transformation is, okay, Father, Lead me down the path of putting on the new man in a way that I become capable of having hmm. relationships. In other words, I'm not just trying to get to where I can have relationships. But I'm the person that naturally is capable. Yeah, be, be the person. You know, the, uh, one of the real interesting little paradoxes, uh, heart paradoxes in the entering into kingdom living <clears throat> is that if, if you don't have the heart for, if you don't trust God, if you don't have the heart for stepping into, you know, going through transformation, stepping into what God has for you next, then it doesn't matter if you find what's coming next or not. You can't live in it. Hmm. You can't sustain. You cannot sustain any attempt to change or be a different person uh, uh, you just can't, you can't sustain it unless it actually really is transformation. Uh, it's really recognizing, oh, wait a minute, this part of my life, this, this part of the way I express who I am, this really is not reflecting God. This is not representing God. This is not, this is not really who I want to be. You know, I don't see this in Jesus. I mean, you know, there's a lot of ways you can say it, but at the end of the day, it's got to, to be for more than just getting what you want. Mm -hmm. Now, 
in the nation of Israel going into the promised land, and we've talked about this just a little bit in the past, the, um, there were, I think there were seven major tribes, but there, uh, there were more than that. But, you know, and I don't even know that I can recall them, but, you know, there were the, uh, the, there were the Hittites, the Amorites, the Amalekites, uh, the Philistines, uh, the Moabites, the uh, uh, the Canaanites. So there were about there were about six or seven major tribes. Mm-hmm. Now, God told Israel, He's like, if you go into the Promised Land uh, and you do not drive out these nations before you. They will be thorns in your sides. They will constantly cause you to compromise. You will find yourself eventually turning away from God uh, if, if, if you don't drive these people out. Yeah. Now, just for the sake of our hearers that are listening, and I'll talk about this some in my series on uh, ancient mysteries, what we fail to realize because the religious leaders of gone by eras didn't want us to realize it, and and now the government doesn't want us to realize it, you know, is that uh, in the nation of Israel, every one of those tribes had were either led by Nephilim giants, what the Bible calls giants, or they those tribes had all interbred with the watchers the fallen angels and therefore therefore they were their bloodline was was perverted and cursed but you have to realize the uh the nephilim who were the result of what a class of angels called the watchers that had the ability to uh uh to cause women to conceive now a lot of people say oh, that, that just can't be true you know spirit can't cause you know, a woman to conceive, I'm like, well, so you don't believe in the virgin birth, huh? Right. Well, you don't believe in the virgin birth. Well, well, wait a minute. So how did the Holy Spirit come upon Mary and get her to conceive? I mean, I know they didn't have sex. That's not what I'm saying. But the point is, if you can't believe that a fallen angel can call a, cause a woman to conceive, then the real truth is you're, gonna, you're really not ever going to truly believe that the Holy Spirit came on Mary right. and caused her to conceive. Right. But <clears throat> anyhow, so... Uh, uh, the the Nephilim had, you know, you go back to their origins, mm-hmm. their spiritual origins. Well, the Nephilim, their father, if you will, who ultimately goes all the way back to Lucifer, the spiritual origins of Lucifer uh, was pride, insecurity, jealousy and so everything that everything that he did came from those types of emotions and everything that he did and to try to solve overcome and compensate for these negative emotions was i'm going to overthrow god because god is not fair god is not just you know i should be i should be god you know because you know look how smart i am and uh so so the spiritual origins of the Nephilim began with Lucifer's rebellion in heaven. Now, 
This means that these beings were fully committed to destroying all knowledge of God and destroying the people of God. And so people think that it was genocide on, with the nations that God told, told uh, uh, Israel to drive out. It wasn't genocide. It was, it was preservation. Yeah, right. <clears throat> because, because they meant to make it impossible for a Savior to ever come to the earth. So, every one of those names, Hittites, Jebusites, you know, Amalekites, all those names have meanings. Usually they have multiple meanings. Uh, and, and almost every one of those words came from, not from Bible-believing people, but, but came from other pagan nations in that area. And pretty much every one of those names in some other language is making reference to being a giant. And so you got these giants. Now, the giants, you know, one of the things I'm going to do in this series on, on ancient mysteries, see, there's all of these things that science tries to act like we don't have answers for. Who built the pyramids? Did you know the Bible tells you who built the pyramids? Most people don't know that. The Bible tells you the name of the person that built the pyramids. And so you start going through all of this stuff about how do they build the pyramids, how do they know all this scientific stuff, how do they, they figure out this, how do they figure out that, how do they do things that we can't even do today with computers and, and earth-moving equipment? Well, the Bible actually answers every one of those questions. <coughs> And so anyhow, so these people, they were, they were, these Nephilim, they were advanced. They, they were the ones, by the way, that taught uh, mankind how to do warfare. That's why they were so fierce in warfare. Interestingly, by the way, uh, many of them were cannibals. And this is where vampirism comes from. You know, all of these ancient things that everybody tries to write off as just myths that never really happened. No, this is where all this stuff comes from. They drank people, they killed people and drank their blood. They ate people, like I said, they were cannibals. Uh, I mean, the, these, these were incredibly, incredibly wicked, violent people. And the nation of Israel would have never survived if they allowed them to stay there. Well, the nation of Israel didn't survive. And the reason the nation of Israel didn't survive is because it did not drive these people out like God told them to. Now, where this gets really interesting is this. So, you know, there were some nations God didn't tell them to obliterate, but there were some God said, kill everything, kill every animal, okay. because they were crossbreeding with animals. I mean, all that kind of stuff. And so uh, um, uh, they didn't drive them out. But what was really interesting... After Joshua died, Israel never drove out any of those kingdoms once, once Joshua died. And when you go back and look at why they didn't drive out those kingdoms, in almost every case, they subdued them and took them on as slaves and turned them into slave labor. So stop and think about it. <clears throat> The lust of the flesh is always 
it's always about fulfilling some desire, some craving, you know, some, you know, you know, something that you you need to happen. So the children of Israel didn't drive out the lust of the flesh, which is what those tribes represent. They didn't drive them out. And the reason they didn't drive them out is so they could fulfill the lust of the flesh. Look how rich I would be. If I could use these people as slaves and they would help fulfill all my dreams and everything and all that free labor. It would be amazing. Let's just keep them as free labor so that I can get all my dreams and the lust of my flesh fulfilled. Now, you get get an interesting insight that most people miss. And we talk about this that people don't believe it, but, but... we talk about the fact that if God gave authority to man, that for God to do anything on planet Earth, he's got to have somebody to work through. He's got to have a human being here on planet Earth that will work with him and follow his plan and exercise authority because God cannot break his word and exercise authority apart from man being, a, you know, being the decisive factor. Well, Satan couldn't do anything here on planet Earth. So remember, the Nephilim are part, well, the Nephilim are like part spiritual being, mm-hmm. but they're also human beings. So now Lucifer, for the first time, has beings here on earth that will use their authority to destroy the human race. Because they have man authority because they're part man. Because they are part man. You know, people say, well, they're just part man. They couldn't do it. Well, Jesus was only just part man, too. I mean, yeah. you know, uh, but the fact was that he was he was a man with mm-hmm. all the limitations of man. So anyhow, the devil, and I'm going to put this kind of in modern terminology. The devil was working in planet Earth through people, even though they were just part human, but they were still people working here in planet Earth through people. And uh, now when, when so, so the devil's there, and every, but everything he's doing, he's not doing by spirits that are floating around out here in the air. You know? Right. Uh, I, I was reading last night, I was going back and reading some of Constantine's works and some of the ancient church fathers' works. And I'm telling you, it is no wonder the church is so confused about everything. <laughs> I mean, it is so rare. I mean, there were times when they would get it right, but it was just so rare that these ancient church fathers ever got it right theologically. But uh, so anyhow, when we think about spiritual warfare, the way we translate one particular verse about spiritual warfare, which I disagree with that translation, makes us think that we, you know, you remember back in the 80s when people were chartering airplanes and going up and flying because they're going to do spirit, they're going to do spiritual warfare in the heavenlies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. High places. Yeah. And so, and so really they flew around like a bunch of idiots and that's what they were. They were idiots and, you know, didn't do any, any benefit that I know of or that anybody can, you know, anybody can quantify. But stop and think about it. So here you are, you got, you, you, you've got Satan launching a massive effort to eliminate the nation of Israel, to eliminate the bloodline of the Messiah and, and really condemn everybody 
to hell. But God never one time told the children of Israel to fight the devil. Never one time. He told them to deal with these lusts of the flesh. Exactly. I'm really tracking with you here. Because, it, you know, the, I always tell people, it's like, it's like, why do you want to pull the devil down out of the air? As long as he's floating around in the air, he can't bother you. It's, it's when, it's when, it, when people are listening to his doctrine in their heart, believing his doctrine, and when, you know, when they start wanting to kill you, then you, you got a problem. Yeah. Because a, a demon can't float up to you and kill you, but right. a person can run up with a gun and shoot you yeah, dead right. because they're demonically inspired. Right, right. But anyhow, so, so when you start looking at this thing about transformation, you know, the, the put-off, put-on process, and we'll, go, you know, we can, we'll talk about that some more, and, of course, next week we'll, we'll, we'll dive you know, a little more into this. But you stop and think, if I'm going to go through transformation and, and be who I really am in Jesus, then a part of that means that if I do not subdue and not by willpower, not by gritting your teeth, not by some carnal effort, if I don't do it by the grace of God, if I do not subdue the lust of the flesh, then the real truth is I will be just like the children of Israel that even though I've already entered into the promised land, I can't sustain it because I'm always fighting battles with all of these, you know, with all of these giants that keep trying to drag me down, you know, a, a particular path or into a particular struggle. And so, so one of the things that we have to look at when we start talking about transformation, you know, we have to look at, okay, then what is my reason for doing this? Well, I'll tell you what my, my reason is. My reason is I want to be like Jesus. My reason is I want to walk with God. My reason is I want to guard my relationship with God. And my reason is also I want to be an influence in the world. And Israel lost their influence in the world. See, Israel was supposed to come and build a house of prayer for all nations so the whole world would come to them. Israel was supposed to take the commandments of God and have such incredible social order and peace that people would just go, this is the most amazing thing. How, do you, how did you get this? And instead, they fed the lust of their flesh and tried to turn kingdom living into selfish living and just getting, you know, you know what they what they wanted. And the end result was the whole world lost the influence, the messaging, the preaching that the nation of Israel was supposed to have brought to the world. Wow, what a this is this is a really, really important for me personally. I'm very sobered by this. This is really yeah. important. Mm-hmm. I'm really hearing you. And it lays down a foundation. I can tell next week you're going to be talking about a whole bunch more about this as oh, far yeah. as I, because I mean, you've said things that I want to ask more about. I want to know more about what is the lust of the flesh, like more of what these represent, these tribes, mm-hmm. what they represent. And I want to know more about who built the pyramids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, if you know who built the pyramids, then just that one little one little piece of knowledge right there will unlock historical things. Because remember, we're you know, if 
transformation is about and is for people who have chosen to be disciples. Transformation is not appealing on any other basis because on any other basis you you corrupt it and you try to think you think you're earning something from God, you think you're making God happy, you know, you think you're paying your spiritual dues, or you're just looking for a personal thrill, you know, you know that that sort of thing. But but the real truth is, you know, this takes us back to John eight, where Jesus was speaking to a group of Jews that believed on him. It wasn't like these were people that were against him. And then basically, he starts explaining to them why they're really not free. That's over in uh, John eight, about thirty, verse thirty-two, thirty-four, somewhere, somewhere in there. So he starts explaining to them why they are not really living in real freedom. And man, this is making them so mad. They are Jews and they believe on him. What do you mean we're not living in real freedom? And Jesus said, well, well, here's the problem. First, you do not abide in my word. Mm -hmm. Now, abiding in in, in the word of God, there's a scripture, by the way, that gets gets twisted and beat up and misused where, uh, where the apostle Paul says, you know, by the law is the knowledge of sin. Mm hmm. And everybody's saying that's such a bad thing. Say all the law can do is condemn you and beat you. No, 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 no. The law and in the language, you can tell when it's talking about legalism versus the law of Moses. The law of Moses has, never has anything bad said about it. But here's the deal. Remember, we talked about how the word law in Hebrew is go, can be signpost. So no matter what I'm doing, if, I, you know, if in my heart I'm not sure I'm walking in love, I can kind of go back and say, well, wait a minute, how, how do the commandments say to handle this? Because you know the commandments are prescriptions and primarily prescriptions for walking in love. So I can go back and say, okay, you know what? This is, this is if I'm going to walk in love, this is how God says you know, that, you know, that, I, that I would be, be handling this. And so, and so you know, uh, and, and you know, I've done that. There have been a lot of times where the lust of my flesh would make me find or compel me to find a way to justify mistreating somebody. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and so, so many times I would start struggling and it's like, because my heart would know this ain't right. This, this don't feel right. I don't feel right about me. I don't feel right about you know, about myself in this process. I mean, even though I have the legal right to do this, you know, da, 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 da. And so many times I just go back and say, okay, what's the prescription? What's it? Mm-hmm. If I look at the signpost from the law and says, and it says, this is where you are. <laughs> You're in self-centeredness, Bill. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, 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 and so, you know, so the knowledge of sin is a good thing mm-hmm. as long as you're not using it legalistically. Right. It's a great thing. Absolutely. And so I can't tell you how many times I've used the law and the commandments to understand how to better and more effectively walk in love. Mm-hmm. So, so, so we're making this journey, and in this journey, you know, we, we want to be disciples. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said, number one, if you don't abide in my word, and he said that, that's and that, he said that's the beginning of your problem. You know, they read they read the all of the all of the words that the people that interpreted God's word they read all that stuff and they you know they, they studied you know the Talmud and all that you know and all that but that's not God's word and so he says so, you know problem number one is you're not living in my word 
You're not mm, abiding in that word. Yes, abiding is living in it. Yeah, it's not where you're, you're not bathing in it. This is not where, where you're using my word as the backstop for always knowing how to make good, meaningful decisions. So if you're not there, then he says, then that leads to the fact that you're not disciples. Mm-hmm. Because disciples are always people who are saying, I want to be like God. You know, I'm not just interested in being able to repeat what Jesus taught. I want to be able to live like he lived, treat people like he treated people. And so, so th- then if you're not disciples, then the truth is you can never actually be free. Now, that's where thousands and thousands of Christians that I've talked to one-on-one over the years are. They're, they're serious, they're dedicated, but they, they don't live in the Word for themselves. They have never made a commitment to a, being a disciple that says, you know what, I'm just walking with you. And, where, and you know, when I realize that I need to put on some new aspect of who I am in you, I'm going to put it on, and I need to put something on, I'm just going to put it off. And, and, and in this, I don't earn freedom. In this, I am living freedom. Mm-hmm. I'm living free from the lust of the flesh. Mm-hmm. I'm living free from those things that would pull me back down and rob me of my inheritance and keep me distracted. Mm-hmm. Trying to solve these problems, trying to fix myself. That my whole life can be spent like the children of Israel having these wars with these nations that they just should have dealt with it. Yep. Yep. But they didn't. So they never had ultimate victory, and ultimately they ended up getting driven out of the promised land. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, was, that is you, such I, an incredible I, conclusion. Let me give you one more thing mm-hmm. on that, because I know we got to go. Mm-hmm. But And I've got to do a whole bunch of uh, study on this, but you know, you guys have heard me talk about the, the Hiphel phrases, where many times you know, God will say, you know, I will do this, I will do that. And you go look, and it's in, it's in the Hiphel form, which means God's not really doing it. You know, uh, uh, God God established how the world has to work, but He is really not doing it. It, it, it will happen because because you're defying Him or because you don't believe Him. But He is not really the one doing this. Uh, and and I've done a little bit of research in this, but stop and think. More than once, the Bible says, not that God drove out the Israelites from the Promised Land. He said. The land mm, drove them out. Right. Which means all those times that he said, I will drive you out, if that's in the Hiphel form, mm-hmm. then no, God did not take action to do that. It just happened because of that established law within the whole yeah. be- the whole creation. How, how this all this works. works. How it all works. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I have to realize that. And, and so you go to Corinthians and Paul goes through the. He goes to all these same immoralities that all of those nations in Israel, all the immoralities that they were involved in, and and Saul wraps it up by saying, you know, if this is where you are, you can't inherit the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. Now, he doesn't say God won't let you inherit it. He Mm -hmm. just said you can't. It just won't work. You just can't inherit it. Yeah. So we're having a modern-day version of people that the land of the kingdom can't let them live there because they would corrupt, they would, we, the Christians, would would go in and corrupt 
the land ourselves. We would corrupt the kingdom ourselves mm. because we're, we're so given to just what makes me feel better, what makes me happy, what makes me satisfied. In other words, we just live to gratify all the lusts of our flesh. Wow. Okay. That's all I got to say about all oh, okay. okay. That's a lot. That's a lot. <laughs> I, and again, I don't want, you know, our listeners just, to, you know, to get hung up here. But this is, this is the invitation. And it goes right back to, you know, where we began today, where very simply is that I, I, I'm going to follow him. Mm-hmm. Yep. You see, Jesus came, you know, across the disciples and invited and he says, come follow me. Come follow me. And so being able to move into that place, dealing with the lusts of the flesh, nothing to be afraid of, yep. but just you know, accurately in dealing with it because I don't want that to corrupt my life going right. forward, Right, plain and simple. Right. And yep. so with that, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. I yep. love that. Yeah. Yeah, and I heard it this morning on my walk. Yeah, I was, it. I, it was so interesting because I was going to walk right into that system today, and then I, it would like literally in a nanosecond, it was sabotage. It was in a in a second. Jesus just mm-hmm. had to be with me and just went, you know, no, no, no. Audrey, out, he just said when he Jesus said, busts out laughing. Yeah. Goes, oh, so you think that's going to work? Yeah, <laughs> that's literally what happened. And it's like I think we're going to chill. I said, oh yeah, yep. we get to chill. <laughs> Okay, that's good. I All love right. it. Well, let's, Jesus let's wrap it up for the laughing. day. And Jim. make sure, man, I think we've got you intrigued. Uh, yeah, for uh, next you week. You will be with I will, us I will be week. here next week, mm-hmm. by the way, to hear, see where this goes next, Jim. Thank yeah. you so thank much. Thank you, Jim, and thank you, hey, everyone. Yeah. Enjoy it. We'll see you guys next time. Right. Bye. Bye.